Hey guys, this is our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you found us. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about following Jesus, loving God, and serving one another. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com or check out the Clemson Foothills Church YouTube channel. We love learning what God says to us in His Word, and we hope this podcast helps you to do that as well. With all that said, let's dive into the episode for this week. Today we're going to jump into the Gospels, so you can, if you have your Bibles, um, open them up to Matthew chapter 5, and as we've said before, take advantage of this time to spread out. Hopefully you're taking notes. Even if you're not taking notes, that you're writing down questions, things that you want to look into further uh, later this week, okay? Um, So we're going to be starting in Matthew chapter 5. Before we do that, though, let's take a deep breath because we have, um, you know, normally on a Sunday morning when we're all gathered in the Madron Center, Sunday morning can be a little bit crazy, right? Because you're getting ready, you're driving, you're getting set up, the singers are getting there early, everything is going on, you're trying to get you know, the kids in the car, and sometimes you can show up on Sunday morning and just feel just rattled and frazzled, and it's always good to just take a deep breath and remember where we are, remember what we're doing, and although having church this way, you're probably sitting in your home somewhere potentially comfortable, um, somewhere, yeah, yeah. Who knows? You might be in your pajamas still. I don't know. You may be super comfortable, but we have a different problem is that sometimes we're not engaging our mind and our heart to be present right now, to be present in the singing, to be present in the communion, to be present in the prayer and worship and these things. So we want to take a second just to take a deep breath. I don't know what's going on in your home right now. I don't know if the kids are running around. I don't know if you guys are making coffee or running around or doing whatever. Let's just pause for a moment and take some time um, to pray. Um, pray on your own. Um, I'm going to pray for us as well. Here's my hope. I hope we're saturating our lives in prayer. I hope we're taking time out through the day to remember those times when we've got to stop and take a deep breath. And remember, why am I here and who am I following? Who, who is my Lord? Who is my, my mentor? Who is my king? Who, who is that? And just take a deep breath um, because one of the great things about following Jesus um, is just the idea of um, things are okay. They're, they're going to be okay. God isn't taken by surprise by anything that happens. So let's take a second, get locked in, really be praying that God speaks to our hearts, but not so we can just be better people, not so we can just be blessed people or whatever, um, but that he would transform us into the people that he wants us to be. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, allowing us to get up today. Uh, There is a ton going on in the world, and it's... (laughs) We don't have to inform you of any of it. I pray, please help give us eyes to see the depravity of our world. Uh, Please give us eyes to see the evil that's present in our world, Father. Even in really neat little places, 
stashed around America, even in Clemson, South Carolina, wherever. Father, please help us to see um, that Satan is working powerfully um, to destroy the lives of people and families and and their hope. Father, I I pray that you help us to see that, that that it sinks down to our hearts. Help us to hear your words like never before, but not just this morning. I pray that we hear your words every day, every minute of every day. I pray that our ears are tuned in to your Holy Spirit as your Holy Spirit is teaching us and talking to us. I pray for that, Father. I pray uh, that you put us in people's paths to share the gospel. I pray that you, Father, please give us wisdom to not jump into just this this, um, kind of huge swamp of of cultural christianity and just say yeah that's what's good clearly it's not father following you is help us to not call things that aren't followers of you and not following you help us to not call that good help us to fix our eyes on you father help us to to enjoy you to love you more and to mature god and thank you for your word thanks again i pray for obedient hearts and soft hearts god we love you we pray in your name Amen. Okie dokie. Um, you can turn over in your Bibles to Matthew 5. I want you to put yourself into a headspace, though. Um, and again, not just for a Sunday morning, uh, but hopefully always, uh, anytime, especially anytime we're opening our Bibles, anytime we're in prayer, uh, and, and to think, you know, what does it mean really to be a disciple of Jesus? All right? What does that really mean? And unfortunately, I think it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking, you know, it really is just going to church, okay? And it really is that. And I know it's, it's easy. It's very simple for, for us in our congregation to go, yeah, that's, a disciple doesn't just sit in church. But you might be finding yourself just sitting in church, right? You might be finding yourself not really following Jesus at any time. And so again, my goal isn't to just expound on what's wrong with our culture of Christianity, but that we are soft-hearted and humble enough to remember what is a disciple of Jesus? What would it be like to be with him if he was going to come in and follow you today? If he was going to come in and meet you every morning when you woke up, and you were going to partner with him. You know, that's both intimidating, a little bit fearful, and encouraging and comforting all at the same time, right? Uh, Because when you put your headspace there, you think, wow, would you say something different? Would you behave differently? Would you love differently? Would would, Would you be open to correction more? If you knew Jesus, there he was right around us. We were just hanging out with him throughout the day. Would you be more courageous. You know, I remember um, it's, it's warming up here, right? We were able to put the boat in the water and get it running. And I remember when I was a little kid, I was scared to death of uh, lakes, of deep water. I was really, really scared. And I mean, I grew up in California. There wasn't anything in the water that was going to hurt you. Um, then we moved to Florida where everything in the water wants to hurt you. Everything wants to kill you in the waters of Florida, whether it's alligators or snakes or um, whatever crazy prehistoric animal lives under you know, the surfaces of the waters of Florida. 
But here's what was interesting. I remember as a, as a little kid learning how to ski and thinking, I'm terrified to do this. And it made such a difference when my dad got in the water to help me learn how to do it. It didn't change anything about how deep the water was. It didn't, there just was something about that. There was something about, okay, hey, as long as you're in the water with me, things are gonna be okay. And it's really interesting is, is that was as a little kid. I remember getting older when we did move to Florida and being in the water, and it's really interesting, when you're in the water alone, uh, it's really easy to think, you know, how many deadly things are swimming around me right now? But then you put some of your friends and other people with you, and you're like, okay, hey, this is good. We're, we're okay right now in a very strange way. Um, having someone with us makes such a difference. And so I wonder if our mindset were to go, not from the idea of Jesus, but the actuality of Jesus. I think that's what's, what, what can happen, right? is this idea of we understand the idea of Jesus. We understand the idea of a God of grace and mercy and kindness. We understand the idea of Jesus coming to save us. We understand the idea, but the actuality of him being my mentor, uh, the actuality of that, of, of him uh, correcting me and teaching me and speaking truth to me, all the while loving me and being merciful and gracious and all of these things, okay? So let's get ourselves to a headspace of the actuality of following Jesus, not just an idea of following Jesus, okay? Here's what's becoming more and more evident to me over the years. Um, it, you know, it used to be um, you could gather as a church and, you know, you talk about outreach, you talk about um, seeking and saving the lost. You've talked about, you know, who are you reaching out to? And slowly but surely, what's happening in churches everywhere um, is um, the lost are folks who are happy members of the church oftentimes. All right. I want you to let that sink in a little bit because I think we believe just a little bit that we are protected under the name of the church. We're protected under the, the umbrella of this community instead of actually being a transformed follower of Jesus. All right, so I want you to think about this because don't, don't just kind of let this deflect and go, wow, who is he talking to? It may be you. It, it may be you, but you're the only one that would know that, right? It was, you're the only one that would know because you would know if, you're going through the motions. You would know if, if that's where you were. So we're going to start reading Matthew chapter 5. And again, what are we talking about here? Getting first and foremost, getting into the headspace of Jesus actually being amongst us. That Jesus isn't an idea or a philosophy, um, but he is actually alive amongst us. Um, and even more so, originally here in the book of Matthew, you had these guys who were physically hanging out with Jesus. And so we want to start and get an idea of what were they thinking? What were they hearing? So let's pick up Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Okay, Jesus is, is teaching. He says, you, you know, you've heard it was said to our ancestors, don't murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. 
Whoever says to his brother, you fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin, but whoever says, you moron, will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember uh, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him, and your advers- um, or your adversary uh, will hand you over to the judge, to the officer, and you will be uh, thrown into prison. I assure you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Super common. We've read it. Most of you that are listening to this could probably teach a devotional on this. You could sit someone down and you could take them through the mechanics of this. But again, our goal is to sit at the feet of Jesus as there's our mentor, there's our king, there's our Lord, and really dig into this, okay? But um, we're going to have to really get into this context because I think what what we end up doing is talking away everything difficult, and we forget that the original hearers, they heard these lessons directly. They didn't have Paul's writings. They didn't have Peter's writings. They didn't have, they had Jesus in front of them right then and there. And I think we've got to get ourselves to that place as well. Because I think what can be very easy, we can read something like this, and the first thing we do is we all become theologians about, well, I don't want to take this and be legalistic. I don't want to do, like, just be a person of works. I don't want to do something and not love Jesus. I don't want to do any of those things. And we end up with this theological statement where we're almost thinking Jesus didn't even know what he was talking about because he gave no he gave no explanation about this idea of grace, faith, works, all of these things. He told a story. He taught directly on a subject, and the people heard it. And again, for us, let's not be so sophisticated that we forget just basic obedience to our mentor. And it's so easy to go, oh, but see, Keith, that's what I'm talking about, obedience, that you just do things, just that doesn't even sound good, and, and all of these things. And... This is exactly what Jesus taught directly to his people. And so let's not become so sophisticated. It's, it's, it's easy to say, no, 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 don't do anything until you absolutely love him. Don't do anything until... You... Well, here's an interesting thing. I was thinking of um, people in my life who I love deeply, people in my life who have influenced me deeply. And I remember back in high school, I had a teacher, and his name was Mr. Garrett, and he taught history Uh, He taught a ton of different types of history. And his reputation before I took his class was one that I I didn't like him. And I actually didn't know him. But I had heard about him. I had heard rumors about him. I had heard gossip about him. I had heard all of these things about him. And frankly, I didn't like him. And I went into his class the first day. And I remember thinking, I don't like this guy. And I want him to know that I don't like him. And I have all of these reasons And I remember from the first day on as he began speaking and then as he began interacting with me and others one-on-one, I remember thinking, man, this is not the guy that I've heard these things about from other people. 
right? This is not the guy that the gossip is true about. This is a man clearly of integrity. This is a man clearly um, who is um, who is confident, equipped, loving. He's a servant. All of these things had just been coming out of him, but it took time. It took me sitting in his classroom. It took time for me to get to see his ways and his flow to go, you know, eventually that turned into an idea of, man, I love Mr. Garrett. I loved his class. I loved who he was. I loved the way he treated people. And it was so very different than the gossip that you heard oftentimes from people about he was harsh or hard or, or not understanding or not loving. And there was this complete opposite. And sometimes we approach Jesus that way. We, we approach Jesus and we put him on the stand and we say, no, until you prove to me that you love me, until you make me feel like you love me the way I want to be loved, I'm not really going to do anything that you say. All right. And that's not the heart of a student. So I don't know where you are. You may have been a disciple for decades and decades and you've had plenty of time. If your heart hasn't been softened to the person of Jesus, that's shame on you. Okay. Uh, but if you're just getting to learn about Jesus, you're just getting to know him and you're eager to do that. And slowly as Jesus teaches, I hope that that your mindset is transformed to go, you know what? I hear a lot of things in the world about Jesus. When I read about Jesus in the Bible, I see someone who is spectacular and amazing and loving and so different than the gossip I hear about Jesus in the world. Um, so again, um, let's put ourselves in this place of being teachable, of being humble, of not being so religiously sophisticated that we talk ourselves out of this really amazing passage where Jesus is teaching us about his kingdom, right? So he starts here in verse 21. He said, you've heard it said before. And the Jews have heard it said. The Jews knew, don't murder, don't be a murderer. Like, of course, everyone believes that, yeah, you should be punished if you murder people, right? We believe that today for the most part, which is this idea of, yeah, murder is bad, not murdering is good, okay? And it's this very simplistic, just, you know, are you or aren't you, okay? And then that's for the, for the majority of us, um, we're thinking, wow, okay, off the hook, okay? Um, except he starts to teach about his kingdom values. And this is what's so important. Remember when we, when we think of Jesus, Jesus of all the things he taught about, there were very few different subjects that he spoke about. There are very few. He told a lot of stories and a lot of parables to illustrate these points. But really, Jesus was very focused on loving God, his kingdom, his mission, treating others in his kingdom that others would be treated the way they're treated by him. And so, I think it's very easy even for us to think that when Jesus is sitting amongst us, when he's with us, when we're talking to him, we, we oftentimes, I think it's very easy to think that Jesus is just really most interested in my life. He's really most interested in what I want to do for school and what I want to do for work and what I want to do financially and what I want to do and even all of my spiritual goals. And we think that Jesus is just like hanging on our words and, and going, yeah, I'm just about you. That's what I'm all about. And I think we get a different perspective when we really dig in and read his teachings at face value. Jesus is about his kingdom. Jesus is about his mission. Jesus is about glorifying God. And everything else seems to rotate around that. And he just calls us, trust me in this.
All right. So he tells them, obviously, don't be a murderer. But I tell you, if you're angry with your brother, you'll be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, you fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says you moron will be subject to hellfire. Okay, so one of the things we tend to do is go, okay, he just talked about three different things. Okay, he said, okay, there's, there's, you know, you fool. Um, then he's like, uh, uh, he, he starts out, you fool. Uh, no, 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 anger. And then you fool, and then moron, and it's almost like we take that very, like Excel spreadsheet, like, like okay, here's this level, and then this level, and then this level, and these things are pertinent to us. No, no. Jesus is essentially saying to the people, you know, know what? It's bad if you're angry with your brother. That's bad. Okay. If you call your brother a fool, that's worse. If you call your brother a moron you're in danger of hell. That's the worst, okay? So let's think about these things. So you have anger, you you fool, idiot, anything like that. The last one, he said, you, you moron, your version may say moron, and you're thinking, did they say moron in the first century? Was that a thing? I don't think so. It's such a, it's such a strange word, but it's this word that means this, this contempt. Is this is this slander of who you are morally. It's, it's this gossip of making others believe something differently than who you are, okay? So think of slander, think of gossip. You, you morally corruptible fool, okay? Um, and he's saying you're in danger of the fires of hell. And to the Jews, this word, Gehenna, the fires of hell, that meant a, there actually was a place that they could visualize illustratively that existed outside of Jerusalem. Um, there was this valley, and it was the Valley of Hinnom. And long ago, uh, you had a king, and the way they would worship their false, their god, their idol, was they would pass a baby through the fire and offer a human baby to this god, Moloch. That's where he did it, just outside of Jerusalem, okay? Over the years, over the hundreds of years, that became, that area became a trash refuse of Jerusalem. So it was basically this valley that just pretty much stayed burning. It was like this incinerator. And so you constantly had this this burning stench, stinkiness. It was like this filth. You could see the Valley of Hinnom say, I don't ever want to go there. He said, well, this is the deal. If you want to understand what hell is like, let's give you something that you can actually see here, okay? And so again, we're sitting here with Jesus. Let's say uh, Jesus comes and, 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 and you know, says, hey, let's, let's take a walk. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about your anger. Let's talk about that for a second. Because I think it's really easy to say, no, I am a disciple, but I won't deal with my anger. No, 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 no. I'm not willing to do whatever it takes to deal with my anger. No, I'm not. I'm doing it on my own because essentially the conversation we're having with Jesus is, Jesus, you don't know as much as I do. You may say that getting angry with my brothers is wrong, but you don't know what I know, okay? You see how easily that prideful, arrogant, there can be this swap of me as Lord treating Jesus like he didn't know what he was talking about. And he's saying, no. Guys, here's the deal. This is an acceptable sin, I think. I think it's with men. I think it's with women. It's this idea of, hey, it's just okay 
to be angry at my brother. And then we get into it and think of all of the justification that comes on in our brain, all of the things that flood in, how good we are at this of going, well, but isn't there good anger? Isn't there righteous anger? And we have these debates on, can you be angry? When can you be angry? How can you be angry? When we know full well, if Jesus were standing in front of us, he would go, stop playing games. Okay, stop playing games. You know what I'm talking about here, okay? When I said it, I meant it. This is how it's gonna be in my kingdom. If you want to follow me, and and here's the thing again, I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about us. I'm talking about people who are saying, you're saying you're a disciple, okay? You weren't forced to become a disciple. You weren't forced to become a disciple. This was a decision that you made, okay? So again, thinking about it, all of the... Just take in all of the justifications that are going through your mind right now. But you don't understand my past, but you don't understand my mental health history, but you don't understand all of these things. And here's the interesting thing about it is Jesus simply taught this lesson. Presumably, there isn't any reason that Jesus would go, well, except unless you had a really rough childhood, then you don't have to worry about anger. No, no, no. It may be more difficult to overcome anger. It may, be, it, may, it may require more intense focus and prayer and fasting. It may be harder, but there isn't a pass given. But you don't understand. But Jesus, how can you do these things? And, and remember, Jesus isn't forcing anyone to follow him. He's just saying, in my kingdom, this is how it will be. And so if you're not experiencing that, I think the question we have to ask ourselves, am I living in his kingdom? Okay. He says, don't be angry at your brother. He says, yeah, don't murder people. But listen, you're not off the hook if you get angry with your brother. All right. Um, don't call your brother a fool. Okay. Don't do it. Don't call your brother, man, you're an idiot. Don't do it in front of him. Don't do it behind his back. Don't call him names. Man, you're dumb. You're stupid. You don't get it. All right. Don't. Right, let's stop. One of the things that I've noticed that can become almost, again, a justifiable offense here uh, is this idea of treating people like they're stupid in a spiritual way. Okay. Now, now here's the deal. is It's really easy to do that. Like we get away with going, yeah, you know what? Um, we, we, you know, they, they would never get this. Or they would. Here's the interesting thing. Jesus taught this, and this is what he taught right here. And it's interesting, he didn't stop, and he didn't go into all these things, and he didn't try to, like, talk us down. He didn't try to, like, overly describe. He's like, I'm going to put this in front of you. These are my kingdom values. If you want it, come on and follow me. If you don't, then you go follow somewhere else, okay? So it's that idea of, think about those times. You, you idiot, you, you fool, you're, you're whatever, and you're calling names to people, to brothers and sisters, okay? And wouldn't it be interesting, uh, you know, from Jesus' perspective, here's his view. Why are you calling my creation that? Why are you, and now you may do it nicely. You may do it nicely. You may go, man, you know, Keith, man, he's not the smartest dude in the world. Man, poor fella. Yeah, you may do it nicely. But here's the deal is, is from Jesus' perspective, um, you know, him saying, why are you calling my creation this? Why are you doing that to the one I love and create? Okay, there is, you know, this idea of Jesus going, yeah, I will stand up for them. 
and you will give an answer to this. And again, we live in an, in an era of intellectuality and all of these things where almost like IQ matters more than anything. And Jesus going, no, no, here's what matters in his kingdom more than anything is us buying into and believing all that he says his kingdom is about and being humble and teachable and lovable and loving. Uh, so he says, you know, don't be angry. Don't call names. And then he goes in, again, this really funny word in some, in some translations. He says, don't call each other a moron. And, and essentially what that is is you, you've made up a story. You've slandered your brother to other people. You've slandered your sister to other people. You've, you've gone and, uh, or you've been, you know, here's, here's what ends up happening too, is you are a party to listening to slander. That happens. There, there are folks, they may get angry with your brothers and sisters and slander their character and slander their moral aptitude and slander who they really are. And sometimes I think it's just as bad to sit there and listen to it and do nothing. Even if you're not the one doing it, you're allowing it to propagate. You're allowing it to move forward. You're allowing people to think something that isn't true of your brother or sister. And again, our justification oftentimes is this, but that's how I feel. But that's how I feel. And so we justify this saying, no, I can say the things that I feel about somebody, and that's different. Although Jesus never once differentiates that, never once. He's actually even saying, even if you don't say it out loud, it matters if it's going on inside. Do you see the kingdom of God? Now, Let's look on the really great side of this because, again, I think it's very easy to be flooded with justification, with excuses, with all of these. But think about it. How great is a kingdom where it is not put up with slander and name-calling and anger is not acceptable in the kingdom of God? How great is that? How great is it to know that the king of the kingdom embodies these qualities. And so as we're justifying, and I don't know what you are doing, but if you're justifying anger and you're justifying slander and you're justifying saying all these things about brothers and sisters and all these things and sharing them with family and friends and, you know, just letting your bitterness out and all of that kind of stuff, you know, if, if as you're doing that, um, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're just completely forgetting Man, um, what on earth am I doing? Am I being like Jesus? Um, am I, am I, um, am I submitting to Jesus? Um, what's going on inside of me? And so, uh, this is a really tough. This is a really just a higher calling. Okay, this will differentiate disciples from the world in an amazingly spectacular way. Okay, because again. I look on Twitter and I look on Facebook and I look on social media and I look on comments underneath news articles and all of these things and people who are claiming to be Christians who are slanderers, gossips, name callers, all of these things. Okay, this comes down to a reverence for Jesus and saying, now I want to be a part of that kingdom where this is not acceptable and I want to do my part in that. I want to buy into these kingdom values here. And so again, Sit back and think through it. What's it being? What, what's going on? Okay, and it, it, and are you justifying things? Is there is this idea of, um, 
uh, you know, I wrote down a few different ones of the idea of, of justifying my gossip because it's how I feel. And there's a difference between feeling and truth. Or, um, so think about these things. One of the things that we do is say, well, I just don't want to be legalistic about that. I don't want to get works-based. Um, I, I, I don't want to do, I don't want to just do this because I hear God say to do it. I want my heart to be in it. And understand that's a great thing, but, but be warned as well. If your heart's not in it, that doesn't mean that God has given you a pass not to live this way in his kingdom. Simply he's saying, you're just not going to be in my kingdom, right? Does that, that, that should make sense to us, right? We've got to put our foot down at some point and go, no, the kingdom of God is different. And because I go to church, because I give money, because I do certain things, doesn't mean that I can look at the teachings of Jesus and say, oh, no, no, that doesn't matter to me because I'm already okay. Right? So he is getting to the heart, but that's not completely comforting. So it's that idea of, am I really eager about Jesus being my mentor? You know, love all the time doesn't always being spurred on and admonished and corrected and taught. Those are all good things, products of people who love us. Jesus will do that as well. Okay, so so again, we're, we're talking about um, anger. We're talking about, you know, and remember, they didn't have Paul's writings yet. They couldn't go, hey, let's go look at Ephesians. Let's go look at this. Let's go look at all these different things. That they, they had this teaching right here, and then they left. This is what they had to talk about. But since we do have other teachings, let's look over to Ephesians chapter 4. If you ever want to be challenged or anybody ever asks you or you have a go-to verse for how we should conduct what comes out of our mouth and the seriousness of it, if, if Jesus' teaching wasn't serious enough, where he's like, no, actually, you go to hell for doing these things. In Ephesians chapter 4, um, verse 25, um, actually, let's start up in verse 20 in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, but that is not how you learned about the Messiah, assur- assuming you heard about him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus You took off the former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. So presumably when you were baptized, that's what happened. Presumably so. If you're finding yourself in this area where, no, I am angry at my brothers and sisters. I am, you know, I I do slander. I do call names. I do this stuff. Understand, you said the old self died, right? So he said, you took off the former way of life, the old self. It's corrupted by deceitful desires. But you're being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So how hard do we have to fight against God to turn into a new creation by grace, faith, mercy? He gives us a new heart. We're a new creation for us to go, but I'm going to stay angry and I'm not going to deal with gossip and slander and name calling. I'm not going to deal with those things. Can you think of how much energy and pain goes into that? Because he said your new self was created for a different purpose. It was created for the righteousness of Christ. Verse 25, since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbors, because we're members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. And we'll go, oh, there it is. I can be angry and not sin, okay? And that's where we go to. And I've never met a person 
who have who 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 has honestly said, "No, I know exactly what this means." Okay. Um, so again, let the justifications and excuses go. Okay. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what's good for building up someone in need, right? Again, what's coming out of your mouth matters. It matters eternally. It matters on, hey, what's going on inside of us will come out, right? But only what's good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ Jesus. So Ephesians 4, that chapter, specifically verse 20 on, gives us just this beacon of light on what should be coming out of our, of our mouths. And the goal isn't, let me just change the words that come out, is the goal. What Jesus is changing is let's change your motives. Let's change how you're viewing people. Let's change how you're viewing your sin. Let's just change your pride and your self-righteousness. Let's do that and see what comes out. See if something different comes out. So again, Jesus isn't just giving commands. He's saying, hey, come and follow me. I'll teach you, but understand what's not acceptable in the kingdom of God. So back to Matthew chapter 5, because again, we, we may have identified some things, and I don't think there's probably a one of us out there that would go, man, Keith, you're not talking about anything that I have trouble with. There, there might not be a soul, but here's the thing is, is don't let it comfort you that more people struggle with it, okay? Because remember, my, my standing as a disciple is not in comparison with how good or bad a brother or sister does. To be a disciple is to follow Jesus, Jesus is who I'm aiming for, okay? So it's let's remember that. Let's not take comfort. I think again, we take comfort and go, "Oh man, thankfully I'm not the I'm not the only one that struggles with this." And like, "Okay, cool. You're not the only one, right?" But that doesn't mean, "Oh man, it's great. At least when we get together, we don't challenge one another in this." No, we should be challenged by the teachings of Jesus. And he says this, he goes on in verse 23, he says, "So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go and be reconciled, then come and offer your gift. So to a Jewish person, this made total sense because in their mindset, it's this idea of forgiveness of sin was directly linked to a spiritual offering to God. All right, there was a spiritual link of forgiveness, spiritual sacrifice and offering. Forgiveness, like they understood the two. So what's Jesus talking about here. He's saying, listen, if you're going to do your religious thing, if you're going to go to church, if you're going to take communion, if you're going to go and call yourself a Christian, if you're going to whatever, um, whatever it is that you do that you feel like is religious, you're going to sing more songs, or you're going to, you know, give more money to charity or something like that. If you're doing those things, he's saying, but hold up a minute, take a second and think about this. Because if a brother or sister, if there's friction, if there's conflict, if it's undealt with, if it hasn't been talked about, if they have something against you, he said, listen, don't even go up to the altar to offer your gift. Don't Listen, forgiveness from God will come. You need to go and get reconciled immediately with your brother or sister. And this is one of those things, guys, we can't let this be a lost 
discipline. This can't be something of going, hey, people who are really sold out for Jesus do it, but it's okay not to do it. All right. Is there is an alarm. And can you imagine God going, you know, let's say we're praying, we're having our quiet time in the morning. We're going, God, please forgive me. Forgive me for what I did. Forgive me for how I treated this person. Forgive me for what I behaved like. Forgive me for these things. What if you heard God say, stop a second. Okay. See, that's not what the problem is right now. Your problem is, is you have relationships you need to deal with. Your problem is you need to stop talking to me right now and go reconcile those relationships. And I think we would have some pushback if, if we were in Jesus' discipleship group and we were talking to him. And I mean, what better group would there to be a part of than Jesus' group? Certainly, you've got to be saved if you're in his group, all right? Except I think there would be pushback from him of saying, hold up a minute, just being in my group. No, no, no. That doesn't make you righteous. That doesn't make... What, what I'm telling you to do is stop, leave the group right now and go reconcile and go be settled and understand something. Reconciliation and settling and dealing with things isn't an open door for you to go and vent, to not take personal responsibility, to not be humble, to not do any of those things, but just vent to a person and then say, so I'm sorry. You actually go and reconcile. You actually take personal responsibility. I did this. Please forgive me. I want to change it. What can I do to change it? This is sadly enough becoming a a lost art. And so, (laughs) I don't even know why I call it an art. This This is discipleship in Jesus. And it's slowly fading away to the point when it's even discussed and expected. It's almost like disciples feel like, oh my goodness, I could never do that. And think about, think about that. I know it's scary to do it. I've done it lots of times. I say dumb things and do dumb things. But when we get to a place where like, I could never go and look someone in the eye and do this. And I'm not talking about sending a text. I'm not talking about going on Facebook. I'm not talking about doing that. I'm saying, look at look someone in the eye, leave your gift and then go back and say, God, now, now let's me and you talk. Okay. That's what he's saying here. He's like, listen, if you know this, settle it, get going, uh, go be reconciled. Uh, so, Again, that's a whole nother word you could take, right? There's so many rich words in Jesus' teaching. The idea of reconciliation and the idea that maybe we don't think about that very often when it should be something we're thinking about when we think of Jesus because Jesus is about reconciling us with his Father, of making the relationship whole again, okay? And, and now understand something. This isn't, you can't, force somebody to accept an apology or for the relationship to be good. You can only do what you can do. That's it. I mean, that's simple. That's what you'll be held accountable for. But we also have to remember that a very incredible major part of who Jesus is, is is the king of reconciliation. The one who said, I'm going to come down to enemies, my enemies, who do say bad things about me, and I am going to die for them to give them a chance for their relationship with God to be brought back together. So again, if you're wondering, what should I do? I'm angry, and I don't deal with it. I do slander, and I do listen to slander. I listen to people say things that aren't true about my brothers and sisters. I listen to these things, 
I do call brothers and sisters names. I call everyone names. You get to this place and you're going, well, then what should I do? Jesus would probably stop the group and say, just go. You you better deal with that. But there's too much to deal with. Okay, get it dealt with if you want to be in my kingdom. If you want to be in the kingdom of Jesus, it may take a while. It may be a lot of phone calls. It may be a lot of meetings. It may be a lot of time spent going, hold on a minute. Um, I ain't going up and looking religious at the altar. I'm not going to participate in a church service. I'm not going to just put these great religious quotes up on social media and that's what you know makes me comfortable as a follower of Jesus. I'm actually going to follow Jesus' teachings. All right, so that's the practicality of that is go and be settled. So as we, as we bring this on down, super small teaching. This isn't chapters and chapters and chapters, but it's this idea of it gets to the heart of, do I trust Jesus and his ways? Do I trust his methods? Do I believe his kingdom is what's most important? Do I have the integrity to not bring the world in to, to, to be in his kingdom? He'd say, go and settle it. So as we move on into this, remember, let's dump the justifications and dump the excuses. This might be just some time that you have to have some tough love with yourself, okay? Because here's what we do oftentimes, is we sit around um, talking to ourselves rather than listening to Jesus and justifying ourselves and going, hold on, let me dump the justifications, let me dump the excuses. And if you think you don't do either of those things, then you need to bring someone in to help you because you're blind to this. This is a blind spot. We say things like, but everyone's flawed. We're just flawed. Like you can't expect to be perfect. You can say things like, but my intentions were right, but my past, but I'm doing so much better than I have been doing. And we say all these things as if to say, no, there's a level I'll go, but not any further. there's, I have these excuses why I'm not really being this way, okay? And are we all flawed? Yes. Is everybody perfect? No. Is, does Jesus expect us to live perfectly? No. But he expects us to be teachable and eager and humble and earnest. And that's very different than flippant and apathetic. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't care. And I've got an attitude. There are two very different mindsets going on there. Um, we've got to remember we're in a war, okay? 2 Corinthians 10. Let's turn over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, this teaching of Jesus is from the man who knows, if there is anyone who knows what spiritual warfare is, the carnage of spiritual warfare, the, the, the filth of spiritual warfare, um, the anger of Satan, okay? Jesus understands this. And we've got to engage as if we are in a real war because we are. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, Paul writes, For though we live in the body, we don't wage war in an unspiritual way. Okay, so, so what does that mean? Well, an unspiritual way is any way that isn't Jesus' way. So if you're putting your hope in a great book that you're reading right now, I'm sorry, that's an unspiritual way. It may give you some great spiritual insights, but it's not the teachings of Jesus. Am I saying don't read those books? No, go ahead, read them. But don't put your hope in those. Don't put your hope in psychology. Don't put your hope in the mental health profession. Don't put your hope in those things. Those things can all be helpful. But the spiritual way is this deep, 
passionate prayer and fasting and dying to self and obedience and living in the spirit of Jesus. He says, we don't wage war in unspiritual ways. We don't do it. Since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. So think about this. Shouldn't we be expecting that strongholds in our life disappear, go away, are demolished? Because Paul is writing, he said, listen, when you wage war spiritually, the power of God demolishes strongholds. And think of the strongholds we have. We do. We have, we have so many things, strongholds of the world, uh, of control, of, uh, of addictions, of just sin and all the things that the world get, they have a stronghold of, of wanting to be famous, wanting to be rich, wanting to live out on my dreams are strongholds to us. And he's saying, no, listen, God's power can demolish that. And as people who are in the kingdom of Jesus, we should be expecting strongholds to be demolished. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. We're in a war. Let's pray like we're in a war. If we were in a physical war and there was um, ordnance going off, grenades, bombs, missiles, gunfire, you know, planes, helicopters, like you're in the thick of it, how desperately would we pray? How desperately when the reality, see, that's so different. If you've, we watched a movie a couple weeks ago, Black Hawk Down. And you think, you know, when you watch that movie, if there's a part, if there's a place in the world that is the exact opposite of Clemson, South Carolina, it's there. It's, some, it's, that, it's that downtown area of Somalia, okay? Yet, it's very easy here living in you know, the Bible Belt of America, wherever you're living, this, we got a ton of junk, we got a ton of sin in our country, but we are comfortable, overfed, well-fed, protected, safe for the most part. We have so much more than the rest of the world for the, for the most part. Obviously, there's a whole lot to that, but it's very easy to forget. You know, you look out your window, you look around, you take a walk around your neighborhood, you go down to the lake, you go on campus and go, there's no war. There's no war going on. This is just a bunch of good people. Good people, man. And look at how nice they are because they talk to one another. Certainly there's no war. And Jesus is saying, no, there's something going on that is so vile and so desperate. And it's very easy. Even as a church, you watch people getting picked off by Satan. You watch Satan going, here, here, take this relationship knowing that's what's going to kill you spiritually. right? Here, take this this perceived hurt because Satan knows in this battle, if he can get you angry and slanderous, then Satan's going, I got you. I can kill you now. This battle is real. This is why we have to read the teachings of Jesus and understand he's not saying it because he wants a really neat club of a really neat group of people. He's saying, no, whether you believe it or not, there's this battle going on and Satan is scheming and Satan is gossiping, and Satan is slandering, and Satan is doing all of these things, and Satan wants to kill your family and my family and brothers and sisters and friends, and maybe not even physically, but yeah, spiritually, by let me lure you away 
So how important is this? We've got to pray like we're in war. We've got to love like we're in war. We've got to repent like we are in a war for souls because we are, okay? And if you need any kind of, you want a scripture to go to? 2 Corinthians 7. You read that and it talks about this idea of the nature of repentance being an attitude and the nature of earnestness and eagerness and alarm and just wanting to see justice done in whatever way we find we try to we try to make it so we're we are blameless in what we've done wrong see that's very different in the world that's the kingdom value right it's yeah in the kingdom it is a bunch of flawed sinful people who follow Jesus and follow his teachings of repentance and you're going well when did Jesus teach about repentance quite often, but you can go back to Luke chapter 9 and read some really great teaching on that. And this idea of, of, okay, I messed up, how earnest and eager it is for me to get this dealt with. How alarmed am I that I behave this way? How alarmed am I? This is the kingdom of Jesus. I need to go and make things right with my brothers and sisters. This is the kingdom of Jesus. I can't call names. I can't slander. In fact, think about how many people, if you have done that, how many people have you poisoned to your brothers and sisters? And you may think in your mind, in your hard-hearted mind, you might even think, well, maybe they deserved it, okay? But put yourself in front of Jesus. And Jesus saying, hold on a minute, did I tell you you could go and make other people think this about my creation? Did I tell you you could do that? Did I tell you? Without excuse and without justification, I think we have to be so serious because this passage right here, this is one of those things that gets left by the wayside. It's amazing what I hear coming out of the mouths of disciples and what I hear. And it's just like, wow, man, this, let's refresh this, repent, uh, immediately understand that I, wanna, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I don't want to be just a, a, a consumer and a participant, you know, with a church sticker on my water bottle and all this kind of stuff. We got to understand the bigger picture um, to not conform to the teachings of Jesus is that we aren't serious about his kingdom and about his mission. That, that's, that's the big picture. Final thing here. You want to know what? Um, if you have nobody, not nobody, nobody, B-U-D-D-Y. If you don't have anybody, you don't have any hope in this. I just want to be very honest. If you're just kind of a lone ranger on your own, you don't have anyone in your life except people who you like the people in your life that are telling you, great things about you and encouraging you. And we think about, we need more encouragement, Keith. And here's what I'm going to say. We need as much truth as well. We do need encouragement to follow the truth. We do need, I need courage from my friends to follow what's true, not to be made, you know, I don't want people and my friends to just make me feel better. And think about it. How many folks do you have in your life that one another with you well? What do I mean by that? There's a whole lot of passages about how we need to be to one another in the kingdom of God. How we need to be one another. How many close relationships do we have that that they feel great about correcting us? Rebuking when needed. um, Spurring on. Truly encouraging. Encouragement isn't let me make you feel better about your apathy now. It's let me give you courage to follow Jesus with zeal. If we don't have those people in our life, yeah, you want to know what? It's uncomfortable. And you can't just always be the person that's like slinging out rebuke and correction and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, 
that's almost become like something that doesn't even exist anymore. In fact, we almost feel like if a brother or a sister confronts us and, and biblically corrects or teaches or spurs on, we almost take it as they're, they've done something wrong. When this is exactly what Jesus does do to us as his mentors. And he does say, here's my word. Now do likewise with one another. If you don't have a buddy, if you don't have some buddies, if you don't have some people that you have this relationship with, uh, you know, life is going to be like you're just riding down the road just on a flat tire. It's bumpy. You can't get much traction. You can't stay in the lane. Everything's tough. You're not getting good gas mileage. Life just stinks, okay? This is where a friend, a brother, a sister doesn't take the place of Jesus, but we're able to walk together. We're able to actually spur one another on because I do think that, you know, when Jesus taught this lesson and he was finished with it, you know what I didn't read? I didn't read Jesus saying, I don't really mean that. Or, wow, that was a really tough teaching. It's okay if you don't get this. He's teaching a deliberate lesson on values and righteousness in his kingdom. So let's be people who repent. Let's be people who reconcile. Let's be people who take this seriously, who we don't get overly sophisticated and want to go into all this Bible study on, but when do I righteously, when am I, when am I righteously angry and all of these excuses, but just turning myself in at the feet of Jesus and realizing that, no, Jesus is walking with me. And man, thank God for that. Thank God that he's walking with me and he is merciful because when I read something like this, I think, man, what a mess am I? And Jesus is going, no, you are a mess. And that's what I'm here for.